highlights a condition that he, wants to, that he wants to heal just to raise faith. Now, he wants to heal everything. We already know that. But these are some specific things. And so if this is you, I would encourage you, when we pray, attach your faith to this. And if what you uh, have is not uh, labeled or, or named or called out, then I just encourage you, attach your faith to your healing anyway because uh, Jesus paid for it all, right? So let's just go after a couple things here. Um, uh, knee pain. Carpal tunnel. Spines, specifically stenosis and curvature and more bone marrow were needed. Peace for those who are troubled. Concussion issue. Trauma to the back of the head. Lower spine issue. Partial deafness. Throat or esophagus cancer and other throat issues. Uh, other throat issues affecting swallowing or speech. Um, mental health issues, kidney stones, migraines, club foot, lymph nodes, swelling of the throat and lymph nodes, skin conditions, asthma, diabetes, astigmatism. So I think we got head, shoulders, knees, and toes in there. I think, we, I think we went through the whole torso there. So that's good news. And if you got anything close, and let's just go ahead and attach our faith to it. Jesus, you're amazing, and I thank you that you paid for it all, that you bore our sickness. You carried our pain so that by your stripes we could be healed. So Lord, we just looked at that cross, and we just see that you carried it so we don't have to. Lord, you took it away from us. And so Lord, we attach our faith so whatever condition, we say in the name of Jesus, be made whole. Right now, let healing flow to your body in the name of Jesus. Guys, this doesn't have to be anything spooky. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and let that healing flow right now. So I encourage you to just begin to check your body out. Look for improvement and celebrate any improvement. I don't care if it's the cloud the size of a man's fist. Just begin to celebrate that improvement. So we just thank you that healing is flowing. I think that joints are loosening up, Lord. I think that swelling is reducing right now. Lord, I thank you that cancer cells are returning to normal, that they're leaving the body in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, well, hey, put in the comments, email us, uh, info at zionequip.com. We want to hear those stories. And so, all right, it's going to be good. Well, happy Resurrection Day. Amen. Yeah. We may be small in numbers here because of social distancing, but it's a rowdy bunch. <clears throat> this is a live bunch. It's good. And so I'm going to try to do something different today. It, it makes sense in my head, and if it gets out of my mouth somehow, it's going to be good. But I want to uh, look at really what took place in heaven during Easter and how it was fulfilled on earth. Okay, So I'm going to try to paint two pictures, a picture of two realities, so we'll see if it happens. So first of all, I want to tell you this story. So my wife and I, I met her in Indiana and then, um, but, and during a summer when we were dating. And she went down to Florida and to, for school, and I went up to Michigan for school. And so we dated long distance. And so literally, this is before like the unlimited cell phone plans. This is back in the ancient days where you had to like, you know, use a rotary dial, I think. And anyway, so we, uh, we dated long distance and we literally had $400 a month phone bills each. So we would, we would say, listen, this month we're going to be good. We're going to, um, we're, you know, we're only going to talk half as much. We're going to take that $400 and buy a plane ticket. We never could do that. We just weren't able to do it. I would, I would always call her and I'd be like, hey, you know, I just wanted to say hi. I just wanted to hear her voice. And then we'd end up talking for an hour. And it just, it just always went on like that. And so um, we, we wrote each other letters. We sent each other pictures. Uh, there was a season, I don't know what was happening, but um, I was writing her love songs. 
And I, 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 was, I was singing them a cappella and recording them and, and sending. Guys, I can't sing. I mean, I can barely talk, as you guys know. And so uh, if, she ever, if these things ever got out, I, I feel like my, uh, any, any pride that's left would be gone and I'd probably be ruined anyway. And so, listen, I enjoyed, I enjoyed getting her letters. I enjoyed getting her, uh, you know, her pictures. I enjoyed hearing her voice. But those things were just a shadow of the reality. Right? It, was, it was like those were great reminders. I, I love the phone calls. I love you know, thinking about the phone calls and all those type of things. But it's nothing like being, it's nothing like the real thing, baby. All right? It's nothing like having her there with me. All right? Guys, that's a picture of the Old Testament. It was shadows. It was types. It was, it was like they had some of God. I mean, he kind of dwelt in their camp, but it, it wasn't exactly what God wanted to have. It was just, it was just a picture. And so God, he enters into a, a covenant with Israel. He delivers them out of slavery in Egypt. I'm going to give you guys a bit of history here to paint the context. So you got your running shoes on? <clears throat> All right. I will try not to talk too fast. I know last week my wife was giving me signals. Um, when I went to India and taught, they would hold up the letter C like this when I would talk too fast. And, um, and I guess someone from India was uh, <laughs> messaging Mary last week going, hold up the C, hold up the C. So, okay. So Alfred in India, if this is for you. I'm, I'm talking slower now. This is it. And so God delivers Egypt, they are, uh, delivers Israel out of Egypt. They're in slavery. You guys know the story. Moses, the Red Sea, crosses through the sea. But then they get to Mount Sinai. And so God makes a covenant with him. He does something amazing. So uh, uh, he says, I want to dwell among you. <clears throat> and Moses comes up the mountain, and, and Moses is shown a picture of ultimate reality. He gets a picture of this heavenly tabernacle, which is actually a picture of the entire universe. And he says, Moses, I want you to build a scale model. I want you to take this picture of what's going on in the whole universe, and uh, I want you to do a scale model of it. If you were to take Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and compare it with Exodus 30, Exodus 30 lays out the building of the tabernacle. Revelation 4 and 5 is the same thing. It's the heavenly tabernacle. It's showing you the universe on a grand scale. In Revelation, you see there's the whole universe, and then there's the circle of God's people, and then there's the courts of the Lord, and at the very center of the universe is the throne of God. And then when you, uh, when you get to, uh, and, and so Moses sees all this, and God's like, I want you to build a scale model. I want you to build an earthly representation of this ultimate reality. And so if we could put up that first picture of Israel, uh, as they were camped around the tabernacle, this is a picture of ultimate reality. First of all, you had the, on the outer circle, you had all the nations of the world. And then you had Israel, they were camped, the circle of God's people. It was about, um, it was about, 12 mile, it was about a 12-mile diameter circle going uh, north, south, east, and west. You had about 3 million people uh, of God's people in their tents. And right in the center of that, you had the tabernacle, the courts of the Lord. And in the center of that, you had the mercy seat, God himself, the Shekinah glory, the, the Ark of the Covenant right there. And so if we could um, pull up the second picture there. It's interesting. So you had the 12 tribes camped around it. Remember, this is a picture of ultimate reality. And right out, there was only one way to get into the courts of the Lord. It was, uh, there was this little flap of this entrance. And right outside there of that was Judah. Now, it's kind of a play on words because Judah in Hebrew means praise. And so we're told of this. The Bible says we enter into his courts with... <laughs> yeah, I forgot. We only have a few people here. It's, it's not quite as thunderous, but uh, I do appreciate the participation. It's good. The word Judah means praise. The only way you can come into the courts of the Lord was coming by the tribe called praise. So we can pull up the, picture, the next picture of the tabernacle here. So they come through the door, and now they're facing what is uh, the brazen altar. So you can see it on the far left there. 
Uh, that's where the sacrifices were offered. And so imagine, I want you to see there's like an imaginary invisible line that goes from the brazen altar that goes directly past the, the bronze labor, we'll talk about that in a second, right into the curtains, right into that second curtain, right into the holy place. There's like this imaginary invisible line of what you, what you do to get into the presence of God. And so, uh, so the altar of the burnt offering every day and night, this is where they're offering the, the, the blood offerings for sacrifices. And they would go directly there. There was the laver, which was made of brass. This is where they would wash the animals. If you ever wonder why Jesus had to be, uh, had to be baptized to fulfill righteousness, it's because all of the sacrifices had to be washed. And so here we see the, uh, the laver, which was made of brass. It was kind of like highly polished. So you could see your face in there, and you would see whether or not you needed washed and cleansed. And uh, the, so those are the outer courts. Now when you go past the curtain, nobody knows what's going on in there. You, you can't really see what's happening there. It's the invisible realm almost. And so in there is we, uh, it's called the holy place. It's covered. All the curtains mean stuff. We're not going to go on, all into that. But if you were to keep walking straight, you would run into the, bronze, the, um, the altar of incense. It was this golden altar. It represented praise and worship going on to God. On the left, you've got the seven candlesticks. If you've ever been to a Jewish person's home or you know about that, you've seen the, that candelabra. It's, it's like seven ca- candlesticks uh, kind of based out of one. It was the only light in the, in, in the tabernacle. And on the right side, you had, I'm, I'm almost done with the history lesson. Okay, I'm just painting a picture. On the right side, you had the table of showbread, which uh, is also translated the table of presence. And so here on this, uh, on this uh, it was wooden covered in gold, and there was these 12 loaves of bread. Each loaf of bread represented one of the tribes of Israel. And here was the picture, is that the faces of Israel were always in the presence of God. And, so here, and remember, this is, this is ultimate reality being, being pictured here. There was a great jug of wine on that table to signify the joy that comes from the presence of God. And, so, and then there was this great veil. And so nobody went behind the veil. And so if you did, you would be struck dead uh, because the Ark of the Covenant was there. But there was a special day, one day a year called the Day of Atonement, when the high priest could go behind the veil. And so we could have the picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And so uh, there's not a lot of great pictures out there of the Ark of the Covenant. And so I know some of you are picturing uh, Indiana Jones right now. And I'm just going to ask you, come back to me, okay? That, that was Hollywood. Okay. And so here's the, here's the Ark of the Covenant. It was this box made out of acacia wood. It was overlaid with gold. And on top of it were these two cherubim, these two angels that were uh, kind of beaten out of one, one giant piece of gold. And here's the thing is in between this was the Shekinah presence of God, the very manifest presence of God, that out of that would come the cloud that covered them by day and the fire by night. I mean, so they literally could see the manifest presence of God, but he really manifested himself uh, above the ark. And above the ark was called the mercy seat. And this is the throne of the universe. Um, It also became known as Father's House. It also became known as Father's House. It was the throne of the king of Israel. But here's the thing, nobody went in there. And so it was kind of just a shadow. It was like God's kind of with his people, but it's not really everything that he wanted. It was just like a picture. It was just like a letter. It was just like a phone call. So God's dwelling among his people, but it's just a shadow. And the only way that a, that a holy God could dwell among a people, I mean, Israel, you know, they're blowing it constantly. I mean, they are, they are a mess. I mean, they just, it's like they were sinning was their job or something like that. And so God's like, hey, I want you to be able to come to me. And so in order for you to do that, he gave them sacrifices, and he gave them the priesthood. And so you guys know the sacrifices, they would have a blood, they would have um, a goat or a bull, and the priest would lay his hands on them. Remember, the priest was representing them, and it was as if they were confessing their sins, and all their sins and guilt were being transferred to this animal. The animal would be killed, the blood would be spilled, and their sins were covered for a little bit of time. And then they had the priest. 
And the priest really was represented in the high priest. He was their representative. And so he was, he was an interesting cat. And so he had to come from a certain a tribe, a certain family, and uh, the tribe of Levi, the family of Aaron. But he had on these garments of glory. And so I'm not going to go into all the different pieces, but two pieces that are uh, really significant is he had this breastplate on that had 12 different stones, that and each one of them had the Hebrew name of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so each stone represented a tribe. And here was the picture. He would walk along in the, in, the, uh, in the holy place, in those inner courts, day and night. He would walk around in there, and it was representing that he was carrying all of Israel on his heart to God. And so, he's on the, so remember, a priest is representing God to the people and the people to God. And so he's saying, um, God is literally carrying you on his heart, in his presence, day and night. And then he had these two stones on his shoulder, six tribes in one, six on the other. And here was the authority of God. They were literally able to carry the authority, the covenant of God. So anytime they could go, they could recognize that day and night, remember the priest never sat down. He was constantly representing them, constantly doing these things. And so uh, once a year, though, the high priest was able to enter into that holy of holies right before the Ark of the Covenant. So let's pick it up here. We are now on the Day of Atonement. We are in uh, Luke chapter 16. Uh, I know most of you have it memorized, but why don't you just humor the rest of us and read it along here with us in Scripture. Luke, I'm sorry, Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. We're not in Luke. We're in Leviticus 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. We're not going to talk about that story. <clears throat> verse 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Verse 3. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. So the day of atonement, it's centered around the actions of the high priest. He's going in the presence of God on your behalf. It's as if you yourself were coming before the presence of God and making an offering. Verse 4. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. This is interesting. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. So the ceremony begins, the, the priest is taking off his garments of glory. He's taking off these amazing vestments, and now he's dressed like a common priest. Why? Because he himself is also a sinner. So first of all, he's going and he's making an offering for his own sin before he can offer it for the people. Verse 7. Uh, so now he's got his offering over, and now the Day of Atonement really begins for you and me. Verse uh, 7. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Notice, every other time there was an offering, there was just one. Now there's two goats. Uh, verse 8, And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord, in other words, one was going to be sacrifices, and the other lot for Azazel, which was the scapegoat. Uh, verse 9, And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord to use it as a sin offering. Verse 10, But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So I want you to go back with me here. I know you're sitting here, wherever you're watching this from, but we're going to go back 3,000 years, and it's as if you're seeing the Day of Atonement for the first time. So you can see, uh, you're, you're, outside, you know, you're outside the gates there, they got these linen, linen tents, and you're peeking in, and you're wanting to see this whole scene. 
you're crowded around it, and you're thinking, two goats. Why do they have two goats? And they select this one goat, and that goat is going to be the sin offering. And your first question would be like, what are they doing with these goats? What's going on there? If you were to ask the high priest, he would say something like this. I'm going to stand on your behalf in Father's house. I'm going to stand in front of the Shekinah glory as if you were me. And you're going to be assured of the covenant blessings of God for one more year. And so that would be the good news. If the priest came back out alive, all of Israel would have a huge party and say, yes, for another year, God's promises are good for us. And it would be this huge party. When they did this in Herod's temple, they estimated that between 200,000 and 300,000, guys, they knew how to parte. In the Hebrew, it is parte. It's not actually parte. But anyway, so 200 to 300,000 people would be rejoicing. Why? Because, oh, it's accepted for another year. One more year, God's promises are made good to us. And so the high priest would go through this ritual. And so he would take his hands and he would lay them upon the goat. But then he did something interesting. It said he would lean upon the goat. And he would begin to confess his sins and all the sins of Israel. And you would be listening in and you would hear your sins. And you would say, yeah, 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 that's me. Mine is covered. And so they would take the goat. They would pull it back. They would slit the throat. They would catch the blood in the ritual basin. And they would go sprinkle it upon the altar. And a great sigh would go over the people. Okay, our sins are covered over. Like We're good here. The blood has been, uh, has been poured out. The animal died for me. You can see the symbolism. As he's leaning upon the animal, you can just see the animals becoming polluted. You can just see that animal is literally becoming sin, and then that sin is slain. But it's not over. That would have been like a normal, a normal day, just having the one goat. But, but it's not over. The high priest, he takes the basin of blood, and he, uh, he takes that basin full of blood, and now he's marching down that imaginary invisible line. And he goes right into the Holy of Holies, right into Father's house, right into the mercy seat. And he goes behind the veil. Now, no one's been behind this veil since exactly one year before them. He stands in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Can you just imagine standing in front of that fiery presence? I mean, it had to just be a terrifying thing. And he looks down at that slab of gold, and it's kind of a rusty brown color. Because the year before, there had been dried blood on there. And the year before there, there had been dried blood on there. And he's reminded, you know what, this blood... It's just not taking away the sins. It's just kind of putting it off. It's just, it just doesn't cover. And so there was no furniture to sit down, and the priests weren't allowed to kneel or bow down. or, or they, they couldn't sit. They had to stand because the work was never done. It was a continual reminder. Like, man, the sin is never done. I mean, it's like an IOU every year, and it's like just putting it down. And, and the rabbis, even during Jesus' day, they were writing things like this. There has to be a time when someone's going to take away sin once and for all. We can't keep doing this forever. It's exhausting. So the blood only covered the sin. It was an IOU. And so uh, the high priest, he was never allowed to sit down because the work wasn't finished. And so, um, and so he comes out. And so he comes out of this thing. And we know that the blood of the animal is accepted because the priest is still alive. And, uh, and it's like, that's, that's good. But as he comes out, that's not it. There's a second goat. There's a second goat in Leviticus 16.20. And when he has made, this is meaning the high priest, has made an end of the atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting at the altar, in other words, when he's presented the blood in front of the Shekinah glory, he shall present the live goat, verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the, high, of the live goat, Aaron was the high priest, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. It was probably, it was probably a, quite, a, quite a bit of time when he's doing that. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. So the high priest does the same thing. He, uh, he's leaning on it. He's, he's placing his hand on it. He's confessing the sins. He's polluting this goat. This goat is becoming sin. But instead of this time a knife, 
uh, to slit the throat, they put a rope around it. And um, as the priest leads the goat away, the people of God literally believed that God was capable of removing their sins. I want you guys to see this. God didn't come and just, Jesus didn't die just so that your sins could be covered over and, you know, for a, for a little bit longer, wrath of No, no. He literally removed sin from your being. He removed sins from your existence. Can you imagine you're there 3,000 years ago and you see him. He's walking with this goat. Now this goat's polluted. Now they're walking it out. And you're seeing, my sin's leaving. My sin's completely gone. And the goat's becoming a speck on the horizon. All you can kind of see is the heat signature. And then it's gone. And they would rejoice. Can you believe they actually believe that when the goats left, their sins left with it? Imagine if people could believe something like that. Can you imagine that? Is there anything today that you're carrying around? Any junk? Any issues? Any garbage? Is there anything that you're carrying around that you know God did not create you to carry around? I've got some good news. There, was a, there is a second goat. <laughs> and all your sin was put upon it. And he was led away outside the camp. He wants you free. Have you ever been cheated on or betrayed or abused and had things done to you that you are carrying and you just can't seem to let it go? I've got some good news for you. You can put all of that stuff on the second goat. You do not have to carry it anymore. Some of you just need to say that, God, I don't have to carry this anymore because of what Jesus did. There's an expression that came out of this. This is, this is where the biblical expression came. As far as the east is from the west, so far did he remove my transgressions. As you could just see, infinitely gone. My sins are carried away forever. See, uh, the, the first goat, you know, the priest is behind the curtain. I can't see that. That's, that, that's kind of invisible to me. There is, it's all happening in another place. But I can feel the goat. So the second one, I actually can have an experience of seeing my sin carried away. But the first one, I just kind of know that it happened and would rejoice and kind of do it by faith. It's interesting. So the Jews, uh, a lot of the rabbis had writings that were recorded in like the Talmud or the Mishnah. And so in the Mishnah, there's this tradition that says that for centuries, they would uh, place a white ribbon, I'm sorry, a red ribbon around the horns of the goat. And then they would take half of it and put it on the gate of the temple. And miraculously, every year on the Day of Atonement, that, ri that scarlet ribbon would turn to white every single year. Think of Isaiah chapter 1, though their sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. It's interesting. The rabbi said that 40 years before the uh, temple was destroyed, so the temple was destroyed in the year 70, 40 years before that is the year 30. Remember, these aren't Christian rabbis that are writing this. They're recording history. They said that that red ribbon did not turn white anymore because the final sacrifice had been made. So they're offering their atonement sacrifice with blood bulls and goats. It wasn't working anymore because the ultimate had already been done. Literally, they recorded the supernatural activity of their sacrifices didn't work anymore because the one sacrifice had been fulfilled. Isn't that interesting? So let's look and see how this was fulfilled. So Jesus, our great high priest, he took off his garments of glory and looked like an ordinary man. He became an ordinary humanity. And we just thought he was another man. And finally, the ultimate day of atonement was about to begin. And before Jesus went into that heavenly tabernacle, uh, he's, he's there on earth, and he's got, his, he's got his 12 boys with him, and he's having a final meal, and he's just about ready to go into Father's house. And he says this in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I've told you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. The Father's house was the Holy of Holies, and they knew only one person gets in there once a year. But remember, God's plan, his covenant was, I will dwell among my people. I will dwell in my people. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's something that's about to go on where not just the great high priest is going to go into the Holy of Holies, but I'm taking, in the, the, the Texas translation, all y'all with me. There's many rooms. There's many dwelling places. There's room for everybody in Father's house. So where did he go to prepare the place? And so he went from that upper room where he's doing the Lord's Supper with them. He goes to the cross, and on the cross he sheds his blood. The cross, in the sense, is that, bra- that brazen altar, that brass altar. That is where the first goat was killed, uh, was sacrificed, the blood was covered over. Remember in Isaiah 53, what it says about the death of Jesus? All we like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That word laid on him is the same word that the priest used when he was leaning upon the goat, when he was leaning upon the sacrifice. I'm sorry, I thought that was powerful. God the Father laid upon Jesus the sin of the entire world. Jesus is not only the offering, he's also the priest, bringing his own blood to the mercy seat. So it's the day of atonement, the blood on the altar, and he puts it on the mercy seat. So it's interesting. So Jesus, he... um, He's rising from the dead, remember? And as he's rising, as he's getting ready to go up to heaven, remember, as he sneaks up behind Mary, and he says, Mary, and she spins around and says, Rabboni. And she comes and grabs him, and remember what he says? He says, um, do not cling to me, for I am not yet ascended. In other words, you've caught me between two places. I've come from the brazen altar. I'm getting ready to go up into heaven to the mercy seat to present the blood once for all. Do not cling to me. And then he says something interesting. I've just, uh, he says, I have not yet ascended to my father and your father. This is the first time in scripture where God is called your father. Jesus, for, throughout the New Testament, was referring to him as my father, my father. But now because of the blood was put on the brazen altar at the cross, he says he's now your father. And I'm getting ready to present it once for all so you can come into father's house anytime. Don't cling to me. Now, we have to go to John in the book of Revelation to see what happens next. And so we get this picture of Jesus between heaven and earth. And now we, we, uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, uh, it says Jesus is, uh, he's, John is standing in heaven, John the Beloved. And so he's standing in heaven, and he's weeping. And he's saying, there is nobody who can open the purposes of God. Uh, the, the scroll has been sealed seven times over. It's the purposes of God for, for man. And uh, he's weeping. He's saying, no one can do this. And all of a sudden, this voice says, don't weep anymore. Look, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he looks around to see a lion, and it says he sees a lamb that was slain. But he's walking like a man. But he's also a lamb. Why? Because he's a priest, and he's the sacrifice. And he's coming up to the mercy seat for the final time. Oh, man. He's coming up to the throne of God, the ultimate Ark of the Covenant. Jesus walked into the real throne room that the tabernacle had been a shadow of all these years. Now we're seeing on a cosmic reality this whole thing, this day of atonement playing out in heaven. Jesus walks into the real throne room. He came as the high priest and the sacrifice, and he brings his own blood. Because of who he is, because he was God himself, the blood was enough to wipe out all the sins of all people for all time. And it's interesting what the Father said to him. Sit down. How much you guys to see? The priests, they'd never been able to do this for centuries. They're standing, they're working, they're applying the blood. I owe you, I owe you once a year, and coming, and this and that. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus comes into the ultimate tabernacle, the ultimate throne room, presents his blood once for all time, and then the Father says, sit down. And all of heaven began to rejoice. They began, it says the, uh, the 24 elders began singing a song. The 24 elders are a picture of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. It's, 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 it, anyway, I'm not going to go on to that. And so um, it's the, 24, it's the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and then all of God's people begin to sing this song, Worthy is the Lamb. They begin rejoicing. They have this huge party. Now, I'm using my sanctified imagination here, but it's almost like Jesus said, Hey, God, I'll be right back. I got to go get my boys. I told them that they could come and be with me. We good? Okay. All right. I got to go. I got to go and fetch my brothers. I promised them that if I came here, then they could be with me also. Now, a lot of people think they're waiting to talk about heaven, but that's actually not what Jesus pictures here. They didn't know, remember, they didn't know what had happened in this cosmic reality up in heaven any more than if you and I were standing there and watching this whole thing take place. We didn't know what was going on in that tent, right? There's this invisible stuff that we didn't even know about. We needed to have that experience of the second goat. So they'd, they'd seen Jesus go to the altar, and they heard Mary babbling about something that Jesus was alive, but they hadn't really had any, any kind of experience of what was going on. I don't know if you've ever been in a room, and like everyone's talking and buzzing, and all of a sudden you're like the last one talking, and like, whoa, whoa. So just imagine that all of a sudden Jesus, he appears in the upper room with the disciples, and they're like, oh, whoa, and it just it gets real there. He gives them evidence. He's like, this is me. He shows them the scars. He shows them the sacrifice. Here's the question. What about the second goat? What is it that lets you feel what happened in the invisible realm that you couldn't see? So he presents his blood in the heavens. They've never saw that. They didn't see what was going on. But Jesus comes to each one of the disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember in John 14, Jesus said, I'm in my Father and my Father's in me, and we will come and make our home in you, our dwelling place in you. The same place he said, my Father's house has many rooms, you are now that room. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to come dwell in you. So Jesus breathed, and now they're in the place where he is. So they have an experience of it on earth, but there's also a heavenly reality that says at that moment, they became seated in heavenly places. Remember, Jesus says, I'm going to take you to where I am. Now, guys, you are literally living in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and in some strange sense, you are an ark. You're carrying the presence. The, the Ark of the Covenant contained uh, the Ten Commandments. Now those laws are written on your heart. I tell you what, man, I couldn't have thought of anything better. <laughs> God coming and living inside of me and me living inside of the ultimate throne room of God. Jesus is the first goat who died and shed his blood. And in his resurrection and ascension and ascending of the Holy Spirit, he's the second goat who gives me the Holy Spirit so that I know by experience that my sins are gone. And it's by that spirit I live. So much so, you know, in Acts chapter 3, before they called them Christians, you know what, they, they only called them Christians once, but throughout the book of Acts, they called them people of the way. Why? Because they were the people who know, knew the way to the Father's house. That was the message throughout the book of Acts. This is the way to the Father's house that uh, Israel had been looking for. So as I close, I want you guys to think about this. I want you to know who you are. This is not some reality that you, you know, have to earn your way into, and if I'm good enough, then, I, then God will be God's dwelling place, and oh, Lord, let me carry your presence. I, I got some good news for you. Jesus breathed on you the moment you got saved, and you are now a carrier of his presence. So what if you began to realize that? What if you began to live in that reality?
I don't have to constantly beg God to come and, and be upon me and all these things. I simply worship and praise becomes natural because now because of Christ, I have everything. And so now I rejoice. So let me read here uh, as we close out. I'm going to read you Hebrews chapter 10. And I think we're going to have a better understanding of what actually took place on that final day of atonement. This is a passage about the day of atonement. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He's given us this picture of what took place in heaven. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You and I are still being sanctified, but from God's eyes, the goat took away your sin for all times. That's such good news. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, what are those holy places? You get to come right into Father's house. You can boldly enter the throne of grace, the mercy seat, the Shekinah, by a new and living way that he opened through us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The curtain that separated us, Jesus said, when his body was torn, we now have full access. That curtain was torn. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Derek, I'm going to have you come close us out. So guys, I hope this just gives you a little bit different picture of what, uh, of what Jesus paid for and all the glories. But uh, I love that ending part. Because of what Jesus has done, let us draw near. Derek? As Pastor Jim was ministering and opening up the scripture to our hearts and just making God so real, I want to talk to that one person, that, that person that the Spirit of the Lord has been tugging at your heart during this hour, this last hour and a half. And that person that there's two people, one that was once on fire for God and somehow through life, that fire went out. And that other person who have never heard the gospel before, who heard little things about Jesus but didn't really understand that he's so necessary, that he's the way, that he's the truth. And Pastor Jim began to minister the word with such clarity, bridging the gap between Old Testament and New Testament, bridging the gap between heaven and in your heart I want to speak to you right now because Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 it speaks so clearly about him being the joy the joy that was set before us this joy that was set before him that he endured the cross some people believe that that joy was just going to the heaven but as Jim ministered today that joy was much more than going back to that place that he came from the joy was going back, not being empty-handed. Going back to the place where he once sat on a throne. But going back and saying, here, Father, I finished what you have put on my heart to do.
And the Bible says that he's the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, which means before you even thought about doing things, before you even messed up, before you even got lost in the world, and before you got so busy that he was unnecessary, the Bible says he's already decided, I'm going to die for you. So there's no sin, there's nothing that you've done in the past, nothing you've done today, nothing that you ever thought that you would do that will separate you, hear me now, from the love of Jesus when you allow him to come into your heart. He's such a gentleman. He's knocking. He's standing at the door of your heart right now, and he's knocking. And he's asking you, will you open up and let him in? My God, that leaped off the pages so much that our body, our, 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 our flesh suit is the temple of the Holy Spirit where they decided we're going to come in and we're going to live there. We're going to set up homestead inside of you. Drugs don't have a, a place in your temple. Alcohol doesn't have a place in your temple. Depression doesn't have a place in your temple. He want to free you from that right now. See, the truth is, when he saved you, when he decided to die 2,000 years ago, he, hear me now, he, he saved the whole you, spirit, soul, and body. He didn't just save you spiritually so that you can sit there and be struggling with sickness in your body. He didn't save you spiritually so you can deal with depression. Today on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, God's going to free you right now of that pit of hopelessness. I want you to close your eyes right now. Where are you at? In your house, in your living room, on the computer, in your office, wherever it is, wherever you are, I want you to make an altar right there. It's not about getting here to the building. God wants to get right there in your house. He wants to invade your space. Lift your hands, lift your hands right now, and lift your eyes to him right now. There's, there's nothing hindering. You've already, hear me now, your, your sins have already been forgiven. You have to wake up in the revelation of it. There's nothing holding you back. You can't get yourself good enough. You can't get yourself dressed best enough to come into his presence. It's already done. If you could clean yourself up, then there wouldn't be a need for him. We couldn't do it without him. And it's the joy of his heart. Hear me now, it's the joy of his heart. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not frustrated with you. He's not bitter at you. He's not distant. He could be as near to you right now as the breath that leaves your lips. It's not about mom. It's not about daddy. Right now, it's about you and him. I want you to think about it, that, that space between, behind your eyes that never shuts off, that place called your mind. God has made a place to meet you there 24 hours, seven days a week. And right now, he's, he's invading that space that you opened up. And he says, I'm going to blow away all the things, all the ashes, all the depression, everything that you thought was keeping you from coming to him. He's not intimidated by your sins. Because our Bible tells us where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Where sin was a tyrant in your life, grace is king. And he decided to like you. He decided to like you. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't change his mind how he feels about you. 
Today I want you to walk into the truth of how he feels about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. His love is strong. No one can pull you out of his hands. And right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is seated in a position of authority. And guess what? He said, not only I, but you're seated in me. You're seated in a position of authority. Right now, you're coming up. Lift your gaze up higher than your situation. You're not a failure. You're not forgotten. You're not down and out. Right now, you are his beloved. He's already singing to your heart. He says, listen to the song that I sing over you, songs of love, songs of mercy. Right now, he's stripping it away. The beauty about God is he can, he can call something beautiful out of ashes. Right now, that, that pit of ashes, it might have been a failed marriage. It may have been a failed relationship with your children, a failed business, whatever the ashes is. Hear me now. You are not that. You are more than that. You are much more than that. You, their Bible tells you that he died for you, which means, hear me now, that you're much more. You're to die for to God. He left the hills of heaven, and he never changed his mind how he felt about us in the beginning. See, that's why it's the joy that was set before him. That joy didn't just come because he was on the cross. That joy never left from the beginning. That joy was always there. He removed all barriers to that. And right now, I want you to repeat after me. Repeat after me, it's not about many words because when I look at the Bible, I see the thief on the cross. He just turned to Jesus and he said, remember me. He didn't, he didn't have it all together. He didn't, wasn't the smartest person. He wasn't the best dressed person. He couldn't do anything to change the situation he was in. He just looked over to God and said, Jesus, remember me when you get to paradise. And you know what he said to him? He said, this day, not tomorrow, not after you do 90 days on probation. He said, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Which means the moment you decide that God, you are Lord and your Savior, he don't care about your mistakes from the past. He separates you from, from your sin as far as the east is from the west. It's not like 270 here in Ohio. 270 goes around and it comes back around. It comes around and it comes back around. But with God, east is always east and west is always west. They never meet again. What joy is that? What strength is that? You're, you don't have to sit there and relive the things that happened to you. You don't have to sit there and relive the failures. You don't have to listen to the accusations. Where is your accusers? The moment that you lock gazes with Jesus and your heart is, is intertwined with him, hear me now, you can sing over, where is my accusers now? Oh, if you look around you right now online, everyone that's tuning in was an ex-something. Everyone that's tuning in has a past. Everyone is tuning in failed somewhere in their life. Not everybody's perfect. Christianity don't make you perfect. But what it does is it locks your heart with the one that is perfect, and then you become perfect in him. Right now, hear me. Lift your gaze. Lift your heart. Right now, that little daughter, that little son, 
that listens to their mother and father go through a fight every night and you feel that you're a product of a, a, of a broken home. You feel like you're a mistake and you have no value. The devil's a liar. Jesus said you have value. You're worth it all. What's your all? God's not asking you to do something that he didn't do first. He left heaven. He gave it all for you. That's how much you're worth to God. And God says, well, you're all, I don't care how small it is, your all might be just this much, and some of your all is this much. But God says, give your all. I made a decision. God, I want to, I want to, I want to go into that. I want to dive into your all. I want to know how far this river runs. I want to know how deep this river runs in you. And guess what? You can go, 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 and you'll find yourself running into an ocean of God's love. More than enough. Hear me now. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works. You are saved through grace. You're saved by grace through faith. Right now, God is, is asking you. He's, he's speaking to your heart right now. He says, open up. Open up your heart. Open up your heart. And say these words after me. Say, Father, here I am a born sinner, I've committed sins, but I believe in my heart that you sent Jesus to die for me. You went to that grave for my sins, Jesus, and you rose from that grave with all power in your hand. And you're seated right now in heavenly places. You're seated right now by the Father. And because you live, I can live too. I might as well start living right now. Right now, I want somebody that received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want you to put your first name online. If you're watching by YouTube, just put your first name. And if you're watching by Facebook, put your first name. And hear me now, Zion family and friends from around the nation. I want you to see that name and I want you to like it and put hearts. I want you to welcome that person into the family. And then also on the bottom of the screen, there's a number that you can text. Text Jesus to that number. What I found out when I read the book of Genesis is that when Adam was born, God didn't leave him in the wilderness to find his way to the Garden of Eden. He took him and put him in Eden. And Eden represents the presence of God. What we're going to do here at Zion, we're going to lock arms with you. We're going to take you into the presence of God. And in the presence of God is where Adam learned all of his potential. He learned who he is. He learned how he operates, how he functions. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to lock arms with you. We're going to blow the flames on your life. And we're going to loose you onto the earth. And we're going to make you a conqueror for God's kingdom. You're going to be all that God dreamed you would be. Hear me now. Not that dream that someone spoke over you that said you're a failure. Not that dream that someone prophesied over your life that you're going to be in prison. Not that dream that says you're not good enough. Or that person that said, I don't need a man. And now you're a boy and you don't think that you have worth because the women in your family said they don't need man. They devalue man. The devil's a liar. Hear me now. God loved you. He made you. He ordained you. And he calls you beautiful. 
and we lock arms and we stand with you and we say you are beautiful son and daughter you are beautiful husband and wife you are beautiful in the eyes of God right now that person that was was on fire for God and through the busyness of life through running a business, we're running careers and taking care of children. You, you don't have that same joy that you once had. You don't have that same run and jump for God that you once had. God is lighting your fire right now. He's lighting your passion right now. Right now, you're going to run like never before. Your best days are not behind you. They're right in front of you. Right now, you're going to start living again. And right now, I declare that everything over you that was dead is going to live today on Resurrection Sunday. Everything that was dead in your life that God once, once breathed on is going to live again. It's going to have joy again. It's going to have prosperity again. That might be your health. That could be your company. It could be whatever that God has put in your heart. It doesn't end today. It didn't end 20 years ago. It's not behind you. Today you step into the realm of possibility and be all that God dreamed you could be. Remember, text that number. Put your name right there. Put Jesus right there. This sounds crazy, but hear me now. On the count of three, we're going to let out the biggest shout wherever you are, where we are here now. And we're going to say Jesus on the count of three. We're going to call him, call him by a saving name, and we're going to shout it to the top of our lungs. And you might be in a small apartment. I want your neighbors to hear it. I want everyone around you to hear it. Some of you haven't shouted in a long time. But one thing I saw was Jesus on the cross. He let out a great cry. Some of you just got to learn how to cry. Woo! On the count of three, are you with me? I hear you, so I hope you're ready. One, now don't be faking it. I know you, sir. You never speak loud, but today you're speaking loud. Two, get ready, get ready. Nudge your husband. Tell him to get ready. Three, Jesus. Woo. Woo. Now, doesn't that sound good in your house? <laughs> He makes you come alive. Here's another thing I want you to do. I want you to share this video three times. One thing we're forced to do is be a, a church using technology. So what you do, hear me now, everybody can do this. You're going to share this right now on your page. And at 5 o'clock, I want you to share it again. And then before you go to bed, I want you to share it again. Because everyone needs to hear this message that our pastor Jim Baker preached. Amen. Let me see some hearts up there. Let me see some hand claps. Let me see some thumbs up if you agree. See, it doesn't take effort. It's just push the button. If you're on YouTube, the, the share button's the third one in the middle. Hit that. If you're on Facebook, it's down there on the right. Hit that. But make sure you're doing it. It's just a thumb. If you can play video games, you can hit share. Can we do that? Can we do that, Zion? And let's make, let's make God's name famous in the earth. Let's fan the flames over our city. Let's fan the flames over this nation. 
until his, his name be appraised in our city. Amen. Father, I thank you for our, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the remission of our sins. I thank you that we don't have to bring goats every, every year. I thank you that we don't have to do all the work. I thank you that you, you have made us, Father, that were once lost. You have made us near to you. You said that we can rest in your presence. Just as Jesus is resting, I thank you for that place of rest. I thank you that you are our Lord, our shepherd, that we shall not want. I thank you for leading us out of places of want, those dry places. I thank you for green pastures, even now. I thank you that our roots go down deep, Father. And I ask you to continue to breathe over our life. Everyone that's listening over here, over the, over the sound of my voice, God, I thank you that you're breathing over their life right now, that you're releasing fresh winds into their life, fresh winds of revival in their house. I thank you that old things have passed away. See the old things passing away in your life. Old things have passed away. Behold, now all things are made new. I thank you for new marriages. I thank you for new friendships. I thank you for new husbands and wives, sons and daughters. I thank you for mercy and grace. Don't you know he said he'll follow you all the days of your life? You're a king forever. Jesus' name. Amen. We love you here at Zion. God bless you.